metallic dragons all spit a line with the element tied to the metal and the colored ancestors all use a cone let's go with chromatic <laughs> Hatchery in New York City. I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 43 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about playing Dragonborn, the scaliest race in 5e. But first, the party ponders a prophecy in the Morning Glory campaign, and later, the Talon of Tiamat spreads its wings and avarice in the Character Creation Forge. All right, so we haven't had a chance to talk about this yet, but we did get a pretty cool release, uh, rather unexpectedly, a few weeks ago. The Plane Shift Zendikar rule supplement. It's a Magic the Gathering crossover? Yes, yeah, so my understanding, they released this book called The Art of Magic the Gathering Zendikar. It was kind of like a setting book <laughs> for Zendikar. It was rules light, but a lot of great art. Yeah, and so they were like, well, why don't we just make some rules for it, right? So here's your 38-page PDF supplement for your D&D game. It's essentially a nicely put together, beautiful looking Unearthed Arcana. Yeah. So it's got five new races, one for each of the Magic the Gathering colors. So there's Core for white, Merfolk for blue, Goblins for red, Vampires for black, and Elves for green. There's some new monster manual entries for some new creatures in Zendikar, as well as some recommendations as to what entries to use for other creatures in Zendikar. And then the Eldrazi, who are kind of the shining bad guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've admitted that they're basically a cross between Galactus and Cthulhu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they eat planes. Yeah. yeah. So they're like a super varied race, though. And so their approach was, was neat in the way they handle it. They basically recommend a handful of different monster manual monsters that would fit in with sort of their general approach for Eldrazi. So lots of, you know, demons and aberrations, that kind of thing. And then they gave an additional list of abilities that would make them kind of fit. And so some of them are, are super simple. It's like change all their damage to necrotic because they're actually drones feeding the Eldrazi Titans. Right. right. Or all the ones associated with this particular Eldrazi are blind and have blind sight. Yeah. Or, you know, some of them actually gain an ability, you know. So it's, it's little stuff like that, but it's a cool way to reflavor stuff. Yeah, this is basically what we've talked about previously when designing... Uh, unique monsters or monsters with different kinds of abilities particularly at the upper end of the challenge rating scale Mm -hmm. you basically just leaf through the dungeon master's guide and look for the different abilities that are listed out and just throw them onto a monster and up at cr yeah i think it's a cool approach i don't know a whole lot about zendikar i don't play magic the gathering i used to play a lot i have not played in like 20 years yeah so can't tell you but from what i've heard it's apparently a really cool setting people are really excited about it so i guess it's cool i wish that they would put some of these resources into developing D properties i would love a beautiful 38 page pdf of ebron or dark sun material or i mean planescape would translate so well with some of these these artists yeah and of course it's not adventures league legal no it's not because it's lightly play tested at best <laughs> yeah i mean some of the stuff actually seems probably a bit strong yeah 
I mean, I was going, ooh. Well, it might be balanced within the setting. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, that's that's the thing is when, when you're talking about adding these abilities onto monsters as well, mm-hmm. you're going to slightly bump their CR uh, without having to do that math. Right, when you're dealing with like multiversal threats. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. But it was written by James Wyatt, who used to be on the D&D team, moved over to the Magic the Gathering team. So I don't know. Maybe this is just his notes from his home game. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, glad we have them. Yeah. So we're not reviewing anything from the Dungeons Masters Guild this week, but next week we are going to resume with the Bloodhunter class by Critical Role's Matt Mercer. We are reviewing it. We're just still working on that review. Yeah. A full class is much more in-depth than, you know, a race. Actually, in a lot of ways, a class is harder to do than an adventure <laughs> because yeah. an adventure has some more reading, but there's a lot more thought that goes into a class. You really got to balance the mechanics. Well. Yeah. So we've got to dig into that a little bit longer. So let's move on to the Morning Glory campaign. Last time, the party had just received what they would later find out was their final prophecy, their third one. Why don't you hit me with that prophecy again, Ishan? All right. Vestiges of rigid caste, wrath, cold life, and claw. One good and two of evil, one chaotic, two of law. Purest blood of dragon sire, bound in broken scale. Mirthless jester's frozen heart, torn from palest jail. Naive, six-faced golden child, perfectly unmade, Breaker of the Gorgon's Nest, clad in living blade. Gather these and speak the essence of thy enemy, who now must fight on equal terms, without divinity. So the dragons told the party, we think this snippet, which we don't understand, has something to do with being able to kill an immortal being. And the party had already determined at this point that you can find snippets in the Draconic Prophecy that refer to a specific immortal being about how its particular death conditions might be met. So, you know, if you want to kill a fiendish overlord, for example, and not have it reform almost immediately in the depths of Kyber, you need to locate its death conditions and find a way to meet them, which often involves like centuries and generations of like random plotting and putting things in in the right places to get the right person born. Yeah. That's a little complicated. And these fiendish overlords also have Proctu who are doing their best (laughs) to derail those attempts. right? Right. So if there is sort of a one-size-fits-all way to kill an immortal being, that is what the party wants. Yeah. You guys had spent the better part of a year on the first prophecy because it was intentionally very vague, just sort of like setting the backdrop for what you guys were going to start getting into. But this, I think like you said last week, this is basically, it's a fetch quest for you guys. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, here are three things. Once you figure out what they are, go get them. Problem solved. There you go. So the party had also had other information that they were putting together. They had realized that Cube, their artifact, had at one point been Primus, a very powerful, nearly deific being. And then when Primus had died, all that was left over was sort of this this vestige, this bit, still very powerful and not really understandable, but much less powerful than its previous incarnation. And so... You know, through a bunch of knowledge checks, there are many sages in the party. They started to put together, okay, so if a Fiendish overlord dies, like Raul Tukesh was killed by Primus, perhaps there's also something then left over. And you guys asked the dragons, okay, okay, has this ever happened before? Has an overlord ever died before? And they said, well, actually, yeah. <laughs> one time about 100,000 years ago, Katashka, the gatekeeper, was killed by the dragons. Uh, the death conditions were met. We don't have any information about what actually those death conditions were, but she died. Oh, and now that entire area near the place where like her body fell is horribly haunted. 
Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and tell me about this Katashka. <laughs> so the other thing that the party had started to put together was that the overlords, they are the embodiment of some sort of force within the multiverse. So Raltul Kesh had been the rage of war. And while he was basically residing under the capital of Seer, it seemed that that sort of pushed the Syrians to continue to drag on the last war. And that's one of the reasons it lasted for over 100 years. Mm-hmm. Of course, Belshazzar, the shadow and the flame, is the darkness that resides inside all of the good. It is that, that temptation. And so that is, of course, you'd surmise one of the reasons why the silver flame is so easily turned toward the quote-unquote greater good. Yeah. Uh, why its zeal is often directed toward evil deeds. Like the genocide of shifters. <laughs> They'd also put together that Primus at one point had been the embodiment of some sort of platonic ideal in the world. Right. And that Primus had been the great chain of being. And that four years ago when Primus was destroyed, old orders started to break down. The you know Empire of Galifar lasted a thousand years, had broken apart. So the first line of the prophecy, vestiges of rigid cast, wrath, cold life, and claw, you guys sort of put together. All right, rigid cast, hey, that's Primus. Wrath, Rautzel Kesh. Cold life, you weren't really sure, and claw, you weren't really sure, I think, at this point. Uh, no, but that's why I asked about Katashka, because that was sort of our first clue. Tell me about this Katashka. <laughs> right. So Katashka had been a fiendish overlord, that was sort of the embodiment of undeath. You had determined because she had died, the world isn't overrun with horrible undead abominations they still exist still a thing they didn't go away forever but they don't have the same kind of power that they would have had had they been represented by some sort of you know abstract concept so at that point you surmised cold life ah perhaps that's undeath yeah and then we looked at naive six-faced golden child perfectly unmade well we've been calling him cube (laughs) he's golden color and he sure didn't seem to know a whole lot when we found him (laughs) he did die at one point right all right, so there's that one. And then Breaker of the Gorgon's Nest, clad in living blade. So Bahar, being a member of a dragon-marked house, knew that House Caneth is represented by the Gorgon. Right. And, of course, the Gorgons were based in Seer until it was destroyed. And, of course, who destroyed Seer? Raltulkesh. And we had had a brief run-in. <laughs> Very brief. <laughs> with our friend, the Lord of Blades, mm-hmm. a warforged clad in living blade wearing a strange helm <laughs> which made you then go after this prophecy oh no yeah i think i know what happened to ralto Kesh. i think he's wearing ralto Kesh's skull <laughs> as a hat <laughs> and he's not so cool anymore because <laughs> if you remember we had discovered the lord of blades real name <laughs> right regulus and then as we had kind of done our time travel we learned that Regulus was the manservant of Aaron de Cannon. Purest blood of dragon sire, bound in broken scale. It took you guys a little longer with that one, but honestly, all of this was you mostly figured out in the same session. And part of that was knowledge checks, and part of that was just, it was a great, like, six people sitting around and being like, wait, wait, hold on, how about this? Yeah. How about this? And it was nice for me because you guys were sort of reading through a lot of the old lore that I'd given you that was sort of a tip-off to a lot of this. So the blood of, of dragons, sire, like the dragons, those of you familiar with Eberron know that the dragons were born of the blood of Sybaris that fell after uh, he was killed. 
and the purest blood were the coattles and the angels because that blood didn't actually touch the ground of, of Eberron. They coalesced into immortal spirits while they were still in the air. And then his scales formed around the world of Eberron to create the Ring of Sybaris from which stems all magic. And you guys recall that you knew the location of one very large Sybaris shard. Yeah. <laughs> and so we surmise that if we put an angel <laughs> bound it to that shard, perhaps that would meet a requirement. That would be a terrible thing to do. Eh. Eh. And you also realize, oh, wait, we know where there's a few angels. Yeah. Back to New Seer. <laughs> <laughs> the last two lines you figured pretty quickly. What it means is you, you get them together and then speak the essence of the enemy. You already knew that immortal beings had true names and you can potentially use them to control them or bind them. And so you knew that you needed to gather all of these different things, find out the true name of whatever being you're trying to kill, and then that would strip it of its immortality and then you could actually kill it. Yeah, then all we had to do was kill there, it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> then it was a fair fight. Right. <laughs> So you knew you already had Cube. You knew where to find the Lord of Blades. You were pretty sure you had to go back to New Seer, but that wasn't probably going anywhere. So then that sort of left the Mirthless Jester's Frozen Heart. Yeah, um, which we had a pretty good idea of where it was just because the dragons knew where it was and it left a big corrupted stain right. <laughs> on the land. The Harvest of Pain. Yeah. And so at this point, you all said, well, I think it's on to the Harvest of Pain. But first, <laughs> let's do some shopping. That's right. <laughs> At this point, you guys were still like level 15, and this was my solution to the magic item shops. You know, everyone has them, but at this level, like, you can't go in and buy a Robe of the Arch Magi in Sharn. Right. So, Argonesson in canon has an independent city of mostly humanoids called Iolacar, and I just had the chamber give them the sigil sequence to the teleportation circle, and the party showed up there, and then it was basically this vast magical bazaar where they were able to get whatever they want, and trade for it with the items and gems that they had although their gold was useless yeah gold wasn't helpful but we were able to trade like for like like so a legendary for a legendary a very rare for a very rare that sort of thing and so then we all got to optimize That's right. <laughs> and boy did we need it <laughs> since this was the first 5e game that we were all playing i didn't really necessarily know like which magic items would be useful which ones the party would necessarily be interested in and they didn't really either so introducing this like trading one for one opportunity basically meant that anytime they wanted to, they could teleport back here and then swap out items and try out new things. And that sort of kept it from being like, all right, well, we're playing 5e right now, but we may not play another 5e campaign for a couple of years. Better hope you get to do that fun thing with that item. Right. You still wouldn't let me have my staff. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you were just going to break it. <laughs> All right, staff of power is just fine. <laughs> so once we had finished our shopping, we decided we were headed out to find Katashka's heart. And we'll find out how they did next week. All right, so let's talk about Dragonborn. Let's briefly talk about the history of Dragonborn in D&D. All, right. All right, so I remember in 3.5, they were basically like a, a racial template. Yeah. This was your replacement for the half-dragon, basically. You were formed by a ritual of devotion to Bahamut. You, like, crawled inside an egg. Yeah. And there was, like, it was this a weird, weird. <laughs> kind of, yeah, but it was kind of better than your mom got together with a dragon, you know? Yeah. So it's like, yeah. I don't know. Either way, I don't love this. <laughs> 
3.5 had a lot of, hey, here's a rebirthing ritual where now you start as level one with no memories. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's how we got this weird race. Like, Elan were the same way. Yeah. They gave you psionic abilities. Right. There were lots of, like, half-blood races mm. at this mm-hmm. point, right? There were the half-celestials, half-fiends, half-elementals, the Genasi. You know, it's so, like, half was in. <laughs> yeah. And when you had dozens of spot books that you needed to print every month, well... This is what happened. Right. <laughs> and then we get to Fori, mm-hmm. and they replace the half-orc, which was a little bit of a controversial inclusion in 3rd edition, but they replaced it with the Dragonborn, and the internet exploded. <laughs> so the half-orc got relegated to the PHB 2, and the Dragonborn was now the brutish race. They also got rid of gnomes and replace them with tieflings yeah, but like I was, I was okay with that yeah no one seemed to mind them just being gone <laughs> <laughs> no one really liked them in third and no one missed them in fourth <laughs> yeah fourth edition was really trying to appeal to a much broader set of potential players and wizards figured one thing that people would really want to do would be to play a dragon ish <laughs> right so that's the thing like i i really think half dragons are cool I get the willies a little bit from Dragonborn. Yeah. Well, at least in 4th edition and 5th edition, they're just a normal race. Right. right? It's their racial history that they were muddled with by dragons. They just work like normal. You don't have to, like, crawl in and be icky <laughs> to, to become a Dragonborn. Right. You just you just are. Yeah. And then in 5th edition now, the half-orc is back in the PHB. Dragonborn are there. Seems like things are fine. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> There's room for, for big brutes. One is tough and one is pretty. Exactly. Ish. Ish. Yeah. yeah. If, you're, if you're into scaly stuff. Yeah. I mean, who isn't? Uh, mm. Well, let's talk about that physiology, shall we? So, dragonborn look like, well, tiny humanoid dragons. Like, kind of like lizard folk. Little dragons. lizard folk. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. they're like big and sturdier, right? Mm-hmm. They're like taller and heavier than yeah. humans. And still color coded. Yes, yes. They have the colored scales of their Draconic ancestors. Mm -hmm. However, all of them get plus two to strength and plus one to charisma. Are they pretty? (laughs) They have forceful personalities. Fair enough. Like the Draconic ancestors, they've got a breath weapon that they can use once per short rest. Yeah, and the form of that breath weapon is tied to their ancestor. So the metallic dragons all spit a line with the element tied to the metal and the chromatic dragons all use a 15 foot cone and again color ties to element dc is con based which mm, it means it's no one's primary stat yeah it's never going to be a great dc but no one's going to dump it so it's always going to be decent right yeah and the damage is okay yeah the nice thing is the damage continues to increase as you gain levels so the first level it's 2d6 damage on a failed save and half on a success by 16th level it's 5d6 so not great damage but always decent it's useful enough throughout the life of the character yeah and then you also have damage resistance to the element based on the type of dragon ancestor that you have i like that dragonborn of the same type hurt each other less with their breath weapons it makes sense (laughs) yeah (laughs) one thing i don't like about it mechanically though is that you you get this damage resistance you know it's a bit like the tiefling but if you get resistance from somewhere else it's just, it's just kind of a waste yeah you know? so 
it's sort of odd. You don't want to match up with the same type of dragon when you're picking other abilities. Yeah, you can't go fully into fire. <laughs> you got to kind of dabble a bit. So unlike dwarves, which we covered last time, there's no Tolkien history behind the Dragonborn, right? Which is one reason we picked them. Right. So it's brand new to D&D. It only exists in D&D as a concept. So we need to talk a little bit about the culture because we don't have all of the non-D&D literature to kind of inform our view of Dragonborn. Yeah, all we have is a couple pages here and there of culture and lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. So let's extrapolate. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So Dragonborn have personalities that are that sort of mirror that of their draconic ancestors. They're either very, very good, very devoted to high ideals, or very, very evil. Yeah, very, very selfish. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, and this goes back to the idea that dragons are tied to their alignment by their coloration. Right. So if you're chromatic, you're always evil. If you're metallic, you're always good. And I think that's where that ties in. So I kind of I kind of like that. I like that in settings where that is still absolutely true about dragons, like Forgotten Realms. You can tell like a dragon's morality based on the color of its scales. Yeah, which is a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> that a dragonborn aren't mechanically tied to that. Right. They can be something different. Yeah. So that it's a it's an interesting way to potentially play against type. Right. You can have like a red dragon paladin. I mean red dragonborn Dragon paladin. Yeah. But anyway you cut it, you're gonna be on the extreme end, right? You're gonna be either very towards or very against type. Mm-hmm. And because typically the storyline says that Dragonborn don't currently have a nation of their own, or like they did previously in a distance fallen, they're pretty good at self-sufficiency. Yeah, that's one thing to keep in mind is that there hasn't been a new setting released since Dragonborn existed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they're not written into settings as a nation, right? Greyhawk doesn't have Dragonborn at all, right? You're, You're retrofitting it. So I like that they've adopted this ideal of self-sufficiency to to kind of represent that that they exist within other cultures they never dominate their own right and you know unlike half elves or even like the right kind of half work you can't really walk around human society and pretend like you're just sort of a weird looking human yeah yeah you'll never be mistaken right you're a seven foot tall crocodile yeah you have a tail (laughs) (laughs) you can't just tuck that in (laughs) you can't put a hat over your horns (laughs) Yeah, so self-sufficiency is their sort of racial ideal. Self-improvement and mastery of skill is what they idealize. Right. I mean, what else are you going to do with your life? You're massive. You're very strong. You look terrifying. You're not going to be an elementary school teacher. You have claws. Right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're probably not going to be a fine woodworker. Uh, Maybe. You could be. You could be. Yeah. But you know, you'd be probably better out there killing goblins, protecting the village. Probably, yeah. yeah. But again, I like that. This fits into that extremes. The extremity of the personality is it's not about being good. It's about being great. It's about being the best. It's about being a master of whatever it is I'm doing. And to that end, the PHB also mentions they hate failure. So they're willing to push themselves to extremes before they're willing to give up. It's a bit of that draconic arrogance. Yeah. I I have to live up to my own ideals. Yeah. Yeah. And then they respect these kinds of traits in other people. These are the kinds of people you'll find in an adventuring party, typically. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which is convenient (laughs) if you're you're writing a race into a role-playing game. (laughs) Right. Halflings? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I dabble. (laughs) The other major cultural piece of Dragonborn is clans. Like dwarves, 
they self-organize into clans. Right, without a nation of their own, without lands of their own, family ties are very important. And family ties are also very obvious yeah. because I'm blue, you're blue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one's cast familiar side yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so similar to dwarves, mm-hmm. clan names are important. So Dragonborn actually put their clan name first and then their given name or nickname. The history of their clan is important. The reputation is critical. They take their duties very seriously. So that that's one thing the PHP calls out is that Dragonborn are aware of what is expected of them. And then they're honor bound to uphold their duties. Mm-hmm. I think one sort of major difference when you're comparing Dragonborn to dwarves is that dwarves have these centuries or millennia old societies that have stayed in one place. You know, they have old ruins and, and cities. They have records and and people who like keep all the records of the family but the dragonborn are often nomadic yeah or chased out of a location they have to remember all of these things yeah they carry them in their minds and in their hearts or or on things that they can carry with them physically well and and go back to that ideal of Mm self-sufficiency right part of that means that every dragonborn must know the history and duty of his clan Mm -hmm. right for us to be self-sufficient that means any one of us must be able to carry on our clan. Right. You never know, like, in a raid, how many of us are going to die. Right. Or just be killed because people are afraid of us. I mean, that's that's another problem. Though, but, you know, maybe there's some draconic hubris there. That's <laughs> <Like, laughs> true. Like, Walls. If, if we all breathe together, who can stand <laughs> against us? <laughs> I think another important distinction versus the dwarves, though, and, and this is a quote directly from the PHB, Dragonborn owe their devotion and respect to their clan above all else, even the gods. Dwarves, you typically think of them as honoring Moradin, mm-hmm. right? Not so for Dragonborn. They honor their clan before anything. According to most draconic lore, there was Io, who was then split into Bahamut and Tiamat. There's no evil version of Moradin that like many dwarves revere, but... Bahamut is just as powerful as as Tiamat. There is an evil dragon god that is on par with any good one that you would be looking out for. It's difficult as a as a dragon more honestly to go, ah, yes, we will look to our our one god, our savior who does everything properly in the right way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another piece of the PHP that talks about the role of dragonborn is they often serve true dragons as well. So if that's your clan's role is to serve a dragon, I think it's really interesting that even though you are devoted to a more powerful being, even though a dragon's not a god, <laughs> they're still extremely powerful. Uh, if it if it asks though. Well, that's yeah. a good point. <laughs> but even though like the purpose of your clan, right, your clan's role is to serve that creature, you still owe your devotion to the clan. So the clan must be self-sufficient and must be the best servant of whoever they serve, whether that's Bahamut or the ancient black dragon around the corner. Yeah, I like the idea that these draconic patrons basically view the entire clan as sort of like one servant. Yeah, exactly. I think you are all probably rewarded or punished together. You know, I'm a 4,000-year-old black dragon on my way to becoming a dracolich. I can't tell you apart. Yeah. You're all blue. You do seem bigger than the kobolds who were serving me previously, <laughs> but... <laughs> Less delicious. <laughs> and the other note about the clans is that, as a group, they're striving for self-sufficiency. But if they have to turn to others for help, 
they look to other dragonborn clans before they look to outsiders or even deities draconic arrogance (laughs) yeah so how do dragonborn interact with other pcs when you have someone who is so used to being in a clan scenario everything's very close-knit i think it sort of goes in one of two directions right either the dragonborn sets themselves apart right i am self-sufficient this is not my clan or we've been adventuring together long enough this is now part of my clan i have adopted you or you've adopted me we'll get into some reasons for adventuring for dragonborn in a bit but i I think that's going to inform the way that you interact with other pcs Mm -hmm. probably more so than other races going back to like elves and dwarves right there's not that sort of rivalry there there's not that distinction it's just we're natural outsiders (laughs) right so either that means that i'm like you because you're also an outsider or that means that we're nothing alike because i still have my clan ultimately i think given time spent together a dragonborn is going to judge other pcs based on their accomplishments because that is what they value so much their own accomplishments and then the accomplishments of others and are you helping me achieve my goals do are you someone who seems like they are achieving great things yeah i could also see a dragonborn early on in an adventuring party's career resenting Mm -hmm. other pcs who offer assistance it's like no i can do this myself i didn't need you right (laughs) right is annoyed by the cleric yeah is a little bothered that the Goliath fills a similar niche. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and, and at the table, you don't want this to be, like, a problem, right? But just kind of, oh, so combat is done. Well, I sulk in the corner. <laughs> like, <laughs> or, like, I won't talk to the cleric for a bit, you so know? It's just a flesh wound. <laughs> yeah. I'll exactly. sleep it off. Exactly. On my bed of gold. What about interacting with other dragonborn? A lot of it is going to depend on, are they in the clan? Are they outside of the clan? Do the clans have a history together? Are they enemies? If there is not that, then I think a lot of Dragonborn will probably just fall back on color. You know, are we the same color? Are we opposed colors, right? Golds and reds maybe don't get along that well. Maybe, yeah. You know, if you're a Dragonborn in exile from your clan, that's going to be a very different interaction. You might feel betrayed by the clan structure entirely, Mm. right? So you might actually feel betrayed by your race there might be guilt associated with that or you're embarrassed or whatever that you're clanless and it does note in the php that a dragonborn without a clan becomes clanless named a dragonborn unmoored to a clan is probably extraordinarily dangerous yeah (laughs) (laughs) how about interacting with other races The PHB says that rather than just being terrified, as most peasants would be of a monster like an ogre, they respond with caution rather than outright fear of a dragonborn. And I think that is the reflection of their charisma bonus, right? Their natural sort of leadership capabilities. It's a very, it's a much smaller version of the inspiring awe of a true dragon. You You don't necessarily need to cower in fear right away there's just something majestic about it yeah so a dragonborn might be surprised if a non-dragonborn doesn't react to them with that caution right they they might become accustomed to that of when they walk down the street you know everyone kind of steps aside and keeps their distance Mm -hmm. if you're the npc who walks up to them that's going to (laughs) be a little bit off-putting and probably a little bit strange for a dragonborn they might even be a little suspicious yeah or the flip side right if you're an arrogant dragonborn you might come to expect that and and use that to your advantage you know that people will give you a wide berth so you take advantage of that 
What are some reasons for adventuring if you're a dragonborn? This is where we can see some more similarities to dwarves. If the clan wants you to do something, you do it. And if that involves being an emissary and traveling or being an escort and watching over one of the shaman of the tribe or going out and adventuring so that you can gain loot for the clan's horde. Yeah, I also like the idea that maybe a clan sends its young dragonborn out into the world as a test Mm. right if if we prize mastery of skills and self-sufficiency well what better way to test that than to to go out on your own right it is a very dragon thing to do right like dragons don't hang around and like gently care for their their wormlings right like the attrition rate is very high yeah yeah i mean that's true they pretty much get shoved out of the nest Mm -hmm. (laughs) get away from my horde (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i could i could totally see a clan adopting that worldview as well and that being your reason right you're you're kind of just cast out into the world sink or swim kid Mm -hmm. could also be cast out because you done screwed up that's true yeah if you've dishonored your clan or failed to complete your duty or or whatever it was found yourself needing they might just remove you from the clan entirely of course a dragonborn could be adventuring of their own accord uh yeah yeah depending on the plot of a campaign i like the idea that some dragonborn might have sort of a self-hatred, right? Mm. The extreme expression of a dragon becomes, I'm cursed to be dragonborn, right? I want revenge on the dragon gods who created us. Right. Why aren't I just a true dragon? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that might be particularly common among the servants of an evil or cruel true dragon. Mm-hmm. And that's a great way to go for a redemption arc there too, right? Like you're you're now trying to set the world right because of the awful things that you've done in service of the black dragon on the mountain. Mm-hmm. Or, well, I guess the black dragon wouldn't be on a mountain. The blue dragon on the mountain. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and then, of course, you could be faithfully serving a true dragon. There's plenty of reasons to be your classic chaotic neutral adventurer if you're trying to amass gold for the horde of your dragon patron. As simple as that. It's just go get me some loot. That's a nice way to start character development and then grow it from there. Yeah, it's a great way to have a push and pull. Mm -hmm. There's something that isn't letting you go. So while out adventuring, what kind of goals might a dragonborn have? Well, we've talked about loot, but what about the mastery angle? Like, I want to become the most powerful sorcerer that ever was. Like, This is how I become the best. Right, I can't get this kind of training. I can't test myself back at the hatchery right i'm already the best dragonborn of my clutch Mm -hmm. (laughs) now i must become the best dragonborn ever (laughs) i will show the clan that i'm the best in the clan and then i will become the best ever i'll show them (laughs) then i'll run into a tiefling and i'm screwed (laughs) resistant to fire (laughs) dragonborn are also uh, one of the races that are probably most likely to have goals that are just based on principles around their alignment or their worldview I am out to do good, to right wrongs. They're the the quintessential paladin race. Yeah, these can be extreme goals too, right? It's I want to eradicate all evil Mm -hmm. because, again, (laughs) overexpress that alignment. (laughs) I hate everything green. Yeah. (laughs) I like the idea of a dragonborn that plays against type because in a lot of ways, you know, with the tight clan affiliations, you have so many things that are expected of you. I like the idea of like a dragonborn bard that is out to explore the world that really doesn't fit with the sort of rigid hierarchy and has these abilities, this natural affinity for magic, 
this impressive countenance and these leadership skills and they're wandering the world they're already in oddity who wouldn't come from far and wide to see the singing dragon and as a dragonborn bard you've got this whole clan history <laughs> that you mm-hmm. get to share with the world right so i, uh, I made up that story yeah I, I mean that could be part of your reason for adventuring is just to spread the word of the deeds of your clan it's a it's a pride thing and then you know you get mixed up in some stuff <laughs> you know you know how it goes yeah <laughs> Uh, the more that you can do to add to that proud history, That's right. the better. <laughs> Dragonborn Bard, College of Satire. Yeah. <laughs> you dull-scaled lummox. <laughs> yeah, those cutting words are going to be a little charged. <laughs> so we've already talked about Bard, but what other classes fit really well with Dragonborn? Well, anything that's based on charisma, mm-hmm. right? But I think in terms of how dragons are most often portrayed i think sorcerer is the natural fit just because you know in prior editions you needed spontaneous casting in order to have a lot of these dragon qualified abilities and that's how dragons cast they just are magical they don't understand magic right right? they don't study it out of books exactly so i i think sorcerer fits perfectly i think warlock makes a lot of sense given that the dragonborn clans are often supplicants Mm-hmm. of true dragons or of you know a dragon deity so i wish there was a dragon patron that was available in 5e mm-hmm. um, i think that would be a cool idea i know you had mentioned in the morning glory campaign that the dragon durasturin was a warlock of tiamat mm-hmm. obviously we didn't have a mechanical definition for that right but i think that would be really cool to have that sort of patron for a warlock yeah i agree i also like the idea of a dragonborn trying to get out under the thumb of a dragon and then picking just a different patron yeah well that was by the way the most like perfect dragon goal (laughs) (laughs) my patron is nicely bound in this prison and isn't bothering me i will continue to harvest her power (laughs) and follow my own objectives just need to get into her horde right (laughs) the only thing i don't like in 5e about dragon sorcerers is that there's a lot of overlap in the abilities yeah a dragonborn dragon sorcerer it should be a perfect fit yeah it's just not mm-hmm. there's also the paladin because you're getting plus strength so that, that makes you a, an adept fighter right strength charisma yeah and as we talked about the dedication to a goal that just fits the paladin very well that that level of devotion right driven to extreme alignments yeah works great for vengeance yeah and obviously oath of devotion works too Mm -hmm. i think the oath of the ancients probably fits a little bit worse but you could maybe tie it to where your clan lives it could you could totally fit that if you needed to i also like the fighter plus strength is nice but the charisma isn't necessarily going to fit in but the banneret the purple dragon knight from sword coast adventures guide gives you a reward for having high charisma so i think that's a cool fit potentially for a dragonborn and the PHB does talk about how legions of dragonborn do sometimes fight wars for other entities yeah right? i mean it's a good mercenary yeah. race yeah and you can emulate a warlord really well right and if a dragonborn is going to be in combat they're probably going to want to lead yeah and then because you're plus strength barbarian fits mechanically mm-hmm. i think flavor wise it's probably one of the worst classes <laughs> yeah you might need to be like a feral dragonborn yeah untied to clan or maybe you have a clan but the, no patron yeah something like that and maybe it, never even seen a true dragon you'd be pretty unique which which is yeah. fine you're, you're probably playing against type at that point so in terms of combat dragonborn have high strength they have resistance to an element and they have a breath weapon 
so they shouldn't be afraid to wade into the thick of it. <laughs> yeah, even though you can hit things with your breath weapon up to 30 feet away, like that's still pretty short range. Yeah, yeah. And with the line or the cone, you're going to want to sort of be right up in the face of your enemies to catch as many of them as you can. Exactly. If we think of the dwarves' approach to combat as holding the line, right? The dragonborn's approach to combat is group them up. (laughs) (laughs) Herd them together. Yeah. And they also have that dragon hubris, right? So you kind of want to play that up as as not being afraid to charge forward, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, what could hurt them? We have the scales of dragons. Right. As for skills, you've got really only athletics, unfortunately, but there are a fair number of charisma skills that you can invest in. With like a minor investment in charisma, bumping it just a little bit, you can be pretty good at those. Yeah. And it just makes sense to be good at persuasion, intimidate, certainly. Mm -hmm. Maybe bluff and deception less so. You've also got perform as a charisma skill, which if you're taking perform and you're not a bard, right, maybe that's a way to characterize your clan. You know, as yeah. one of the skills that they hold dear. Oration. <laughs> kabuki theater. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a kabuki dragon war. Perfect. <laughs> Makes sense. I think dance. I think dance. I, I mean, Lights, dragonborn. It's important to know the history of your clan. And the way that your clan traditionally displays that history, communicates that history, is whatever you make of it. <laughs> Ula, obviously. They worship Pele. <laughs> yeah. This is a. Volcanic dragonborn. Interesting mix of cultures. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So how do dragonborn then interact with magic? I think you need to default to the same way that true dragons view magic. We're innately magical. (laughs) Certainly more magical than those hairy creatures. Tiny apes. Yeah. So magic just is. Right. This isn't magic. This is called breathing. Right, right. (laughs) It's probably more incredible that one of those hairy apes can actually manifest magic, manifest draconic powers <laughs> the way that we can. Yeah, I don't trust it. Yeah, that's strange. Yeah, I could definitely see a dragonborn really being uncomfortable around the like non-dragonborn, non-draconic dragon sorcerer. Yeah. <laughs> this seems inappropriate. Yeah, we are not alike. <laughs> it doesn't even have a breath weapon, Mom. <laughs> And then also keep in mind the treasure obsession of true dragons, right? They're they're going to like shiny objects and magical items especially. Yeah, I think uh, an arrogant dragon or even just uh, not really even an arrogant dragon more just would believe that they deserve both this finery and like the these high quality weapons and armor. Yes. They, obviously. They they would do more good in my horde than they will on your person. In my horde or in my hands. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> I really like the Eberronian explanation for why dragons hoard things. It's that they are all these leftover artifacts after the dragons and fiends fought this horrible cataclysmic war were just sort of strewn about. They're like left in the countryside. And so the, the dragons like started gathering them all up so that the fiends couldn't then reclaim them or like humans and humanoids couldn't wreak havoc on the countryside or release the fiendish overlords. So all the dragons like would gather them up and like put them all in one place and then guard them. So so it, it what started as the greater good. That's right. And then became over time racial became obsession. That's right. <laughs> it's very Lamarckian evolution. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because my parents hoarded things. I, I too will hoard things. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a village. <laughs> An airy. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
So unfortunately, there's no magic items in the DMG that are really specific to the Dragonborn. Which is weird. There's a lot of anti-dragon stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Which seems uh it takes a certain kind of dragonborn to have like a dragon slaying sword. The special kind, I yeah. would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But go back to that self hatred. Right. <laughs> like really dig into those emotions. <laughs> They're going to in general really prize items that help them be very good or the best at a particular task one that they're already suited to or are well practiced at yeah so unfortunately in 5e there's not items that are going to give you direct bonuses to skills Mm -hmm. so the best way to do that is just increasing ability scores so things like belts of giant strength or headband of intellect are sadly the best way to manifest that right yeah it's interesting because in order to get very good at something this this mastery I know it plays against type, or at least it feels like it does, but I think there are a lot of Dragonborn characters that would do well to take a single level of Rogue, you know, to represent that, that time that they spent really focused on a particular task, and you, then you have expertise. Yeah, or Bard is another one that gets right. you that mm-hmm. expertise. It's a little more investment, but it does fit the character a little better, yeah. usually. Yeah, and then as, as a DM, I, I think this is a good chance to give some slightly useful trinkets, <laughs> you know? I, I'm thinking things like Masterwork Tools, so artisan's tools or thieves tools things like that that might give you a slight bonus or maybe advantage something like that where you are acknowledging that in order to be the best at whatever this task is i also must have the best tools and work with the best materials yeah the dragonborn is definitely the melee fighter who takes tool proficiencies rather than language proficiencies yeah yeah all right do you hear that ishan I think that is a carefully crafted figurine of a true dragon being no that's not no idea no idea what that sound is do you want to try that one more time sure do you hear that Ishan I think it must be time for the character creation (laughs) wow really no no witty comeback this time (laughs) all right well since we're moving on to the character creation forge before we do that let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us we do love hearing from you you can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPT Cast. You can also email us if you can't fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And last but not least, you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. So we wanted to build something dragony this episode, obviously. And we've done several dragon-themed builds, so we actually went in a slightly different direction. We built something evil. Yeah, we had already done the Dragon Disciple, so we elected to go with the Talon of Tiamat. Bahamut has his paladins, and Tiamat has her talons. Yeah. They're more focused on deception and guile and spellcraft than they are melee combat. Yeah, so this was a third edition prestige class i believe from the Draconomicon. what were some of the hallmarks of the class well you had to be evil to even qualify for the class all right so that's a starting point <laughs> i think for 5e you probably just want to have some relation to tiamat or an evil dragon right i mean you're not going to want to serve tiamat unless like <laughs> this seems you're not like gonna a be good, good idea yeah yeah <laughs> You gained a breath weapon. Fortunately, as a dragonborn, you've already got that. You got some spell casting, and 
you got better at bluff and intimidate and you gain some of the abilities of dragons you know low light vision and some immunities to sleep and a, a very mild frightful presence and then at high levels you could actually dominate other dragons so how do we model this in 5e sounds like a dragon sorcerer to me yeah well if you start with dragonborn you'll get your breath weapon unfortunately if you're not a dragonborn we don't have a good way to get the breath weapon although there are a fair number of spells that'll emulate it yeah uh, Kona cold, mm-hmm. burning hands, that sort of thing. Um, burning mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I put my hands by my mouth. <laughs> so we have Dragon Sorcerer 17, Archfey Tome Warlock 3. That is a combination that I never thought I would see. Yeah. So let's talk about the Dragon Sorcerer. Obviously, that gives you scales, more scales if you're a Dragonborn. Yeah. Gives you uh, natural you... AC. So it gives you a 13 plus your dex bonus for mm-hmm. your base AC. And wings. Level 14. What more does a dragonborn really want than to be able to soar like the progenitors? To, to be a horrible abomination dragonborn <laughs> with wings. <laughs> no, I'm just a different looking young dragon. Yeah. <laughs> obviously. You're the ugliest young dragon. <laughs> Sorcerer at 17 is going to have ninth level spells. At 8th level, you'll get Dominate Monster. Mm-hmm that's on the spell list so which will let you dominate dragons exactly and, so you're, you're gonna take wish right uh true polymorph maybe uh-huh. so you can become a dragon mm-hmm. yeah maybe permanently become a dragon i don't know wow <laughs> but i think the more interesting part of this build is going to be archfey warlock yeah you've got that fey presence that feels a little bit like the frightening presence of a real dragon yeah and sorcerer 18 could get actual draconic presence which is uh basically a souped up version of fey presence but because two levels of warlock isn't super mm-hmm. beneficial mm-hmm. and we got a little bit more from a third warlock level we decided to just take fey <laughs> and give us a watered down presence yeah that and a real draconic presence isn't that isn't all that useful no no so if you could reflavor instead of an arch fey tiamat would be fine and she gives you instead of fey presence call it frightful presence or draconic presence i mean she's just as fickle as the archfey five heads can't make up her mind yeah exactly as a third level warlock you'll have two extra second level spell slots that recharge on a short rest and then two invocations so as a tome warlock one of your invocations can be the book of ancient secrets which allows you to learn rituals from any class up to second level you just find them and write them down in your book and then you get one other choice Beguiling Influence gives you proficiency in deception and persuasion. And of course, if you've already got either of those, you can take anything else. Right. You know, of course, as a warlock, you'll have Eldritch Blast. So Agonizing Blast has become standard for the offensive warlock. Mm -hmm. Um, That gives you your Charisma Mod bonus to Eldritch Blast damage. So it's really your choice, whatever two of those three you're interested in. Yeah. And then Devil Sight, I think, works. Mm -hmm. It's probably the mechanically weakest option, but it gives you the ability to see through magical darkness and non-magical darkness up to 120 feet, which is not blind sense, but it's a little better than not having anything. (laughs) Of course, Dragonborn are one of the few races that have normal vision. Yeah, they don't get dark vision (laughs) at all. Or even low light like they used to. Right. So it's a little odd to be like, "Ah, I'm a dragon. Uh-oh, lights went out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Better hope your arch enemy isn't a black dragon. Exactly. All right, so why does your dragonborn become a talon of tiamat betrayed by bahamut obviously oh okay as all who worship the platinum dragon will eventually find out 
his sucker is a lie. So he starts Dragon Sorcerer, moves into Warlock a little bit later in his career. That's right. Once he has become disillusioned with the Platinum Dragon and then realizes, no, no, this goodness, this unbending will espoused by Bahamut, this is not the way that, that life is truly lived. I think this character was betrayed in some way by the sort of fanaticism of the, the greater good, right? You have paladins of Bahamut who believe that, you know, this particular action that really ends up hurting the character was something that was required, right, in order for a, a good thing to pass, right, or to prevent an evil, uh, right? Okay. Lawful, stupid, or, you know, overzealous paladins. Yeah. And so now this character has moved in the opposite direction. And what is more opposite than, of Bahamut than Tiamat? Tiamat. Okay. Okay. See, I think my dragonborn talon of Tiamat her clan serves Tiamat. Oh, born into it. And so not that everyone in the clan would become a talent of Tiamat, right? But following that ideal of the this relentless pursuit of mastery, of, of self-sufficiency, of being the best, what better way to prove that than to declare yourself <laughs> one of Tiamat's talents, one of her weapons against the world? So if she starts out serving Tiamat, this is setting up a pretty decent arc for redemption. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. You've got to work that into your campaign a little in advance. You know, this is a definitely check with your DM beforehand because something needs to happen relatively early that causes her to continue serving Tiamat for power, <laughs> but not betraying her party, right? So Tiamat's goals have to be as crazy as they often are aligned long enough that she gets a chance to sort of grow into the party yeah warlock gives a nice out here because often you have characters who are serving a positive purpose or a useful purpose for the party but doing it in the name of some crazy abomination yeah yeah all right if you want to support the show the easiest way to do this is to leave us a five-star review on itunes if you're willing to help us out we'll read your five-star review on the air you can also find us on Stitcher. It's like a Pandora for podcasts. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithm will help other people find us. You can also find us on Google Play, where you cannot yet review us. But maybe soon. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We'll be talking about Session Zero, the work that you do before you begin the first session of a campaign. And in the Character Creation Forge? We're building a Fist of the Forest. Well, that's it for episode 43 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Isha. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.